Good morning. In the first reading, the Judeans in exile have a good reason to be hopeful. The one who will bring them to freedom is the God who created the world, the God who subdues the rulers of the earth and gives strength to those who are weary. A reading from Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them calling them all by name because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of the Lord. We read Psalm 147 responsively. Praise the Lord. How good is it to sing praises to our God? For he is gracious and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He gives to the animals their food and to the young ravens when they cry. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord. In the second reading, Paul is concerned about the way some Corinthian Christians use their freedom in Christ as license to engage in non-Christian behavior that sets a damaging example to other impressionable believers. 
Christians have a responsibility to each other that their behavior does not cause another to sin. A reading from 1 Corinthians. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me. And woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation, I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law, so that I might win those under the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. The word of the Lord. Stand as you are able to receive the gospel. Alleluia. <clears throat> The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated.
So George went on a vacation to the Middle East and with his family, including his mother-in-law. During their vacation in Jerusalem, George's mother-in-law died. With the death certificate in his hand, George went to the American consulate office to make arrangements to send the body back to the United States for a proper burial. The consul told George that to send the body back to the United States for burial would be very, very expensive. It could cost him as much as $20,000. The consul told him that in most cases, um, the person responsible for the remains normally decided to bury the body there in Jerusalem. And that would cost him only $500. George thought about it for some time and answered, I don't care how much it costs to send the body back. That's what I want to do. The consul said, you must have loved your mother-in-law very much, considering the difference in price. No, it's not that, said George. You see, I know of a case many, many years ago of a man that was buried here in Jerusalem. On the third day, he arose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. <laughs> With apologies, kind of a sexist joke. I guess we don't make jokes about mother-in-laws anymore. Mothers-in-law. But anyway, uh, today we have a story about Peter's mother-in-law. Peter and Andrew's mother-in-law. So apparently, Peter was married. We never hear anything about that, but this is the case, right? You have to be married in order to have a mother-in-law. And Jesus heals her. They tell him she has a fever. She's very sick. And a fever was very serious back then. Remember, they didn't have uh, antibiotics. They didn't have any kind of medicines. And it says Jesus comes and takes her by the hand and lifts her up. And we don't think much about this particular healing, but we have to uh, remember the setting that, number one, it was improper for a man, especially a rabbi like Jesus, to touch a woman. And to touch a woman who was sick, that would mean, that would make the person unclean. A rabbi who touched a woman who was sick would become unclean himself. But this doesn't bother Jesus. He lifts her up even though she is a woman and he is a man and that's forbidden in this culture lifts her up, and it says she begins to serve them. And we think, oh, it's, that's a sexist, nasty thing. Here you heal mother-in-law, and then she has to serve the men. Perhaps there were women to, there too, we don't know. But, again, we have to consider the, consider the context the oldest woman, it, the oldest woman in the household, it was an honor and a privilege to serve. If, uh, if there were other women there, they would uh, let the oldest woman do that. That was the honor and the privilege 
Jesus returned her dignity to her by letting her serve, by healing her and letting her serve. You think about, do you entertain? I do sometimes. And I am very... Uh, when, when you go to someone who is entertaining, you never go into the kitchen and start doing stuff without asking the hostess or the host, uh, can I help you? No, that is a territory of honor. When you are cooking and serving, that's your, that's your honor. I, and I've done that too, and I don't like it when people come in and say, can I do something? It's like, no, I've got this covered. This is my honor. This is my privilege to cook for you. Just go out there, have a drink, but leave me alone. <laughs> and I like to serve, too. When I, when I host, I like to serve. I, um, I'm not informal that way. I like to make sure people have food, uh, have drink if, if they run out. If their wine, wine glass is low, you know, I make sure that they have uh, some wine there. This is what I want to do. So Jesus restores her dignity, restores her to her position as the oldest woman. It's different today, I know. Men serve as well as women serve, but that's the way it was back then. Jesus heals her and it he becomes a star. Everybody comes to the door and wants healing. Casting out of demons. We talked about that last week. You know, demons? Are there really demons? Well, today we have all sorts of healing, don't we? We have um, antipsychotic medicines, all sorts of healing for people who might appear or might have appeared to have a demon. It's funny, though, I think we still have demons today. Uh, even with the healing medicines and the therapy we have, we have the demons of chronic anxiety, chronic worry. Some of us worry and we can't get a hold of it. There are demons today, and I think God is the ultimate healer. I know, and doctors say this, you know, they say, I'm not healing you. Your body has to heal. I'm trying to assist your body so that it can heal itself. So there's, there's still, even in our modern medical um, establishment, there's still a little bit of, things are a little bit out of our control. We'll try to help this healing. We'll, We'll find technology and new ways of, of assisting the healing, but it's still, there's something else that goes for the body to heal itself or perhaps for God to heal the body. Jesus is a star. And it says he goes out to pray, goes to a deserted place to pray. Jesus did this a lot. It's a Sabbath practice. We have lost Sabbath practice here in our country. Um, you're here. You're coming to church. Thank you for being here. I hope this is a Sabbath to you. It's a healing presence, a time for you to slow down, 
to get the bigger picture, right? We get so caught up in our daily lives to get the bigger picture. God is in control, Isaiah says. He looks down and, and people are like grasshoppers. God is above. God names the stars. God knows all the stars in the universe. As our understanding of the universe gets bigger, um, we have to think of God as being bigger than, than we think. Isaiah describes a God who is far away yet close. This is the paradox of God. Paradox that God is transcendent, that is totally other than the earth. The earth does not influence God. But God is close. God is imminent, as close. You know, the Psalm 139 says, you, you press upon me behind and before. You're so close to me. So that's a paradox. Opposites. God is above all, far away, all-powerful. And yet God is intimate, intimate and knows us very well. Isaiah proclaims this. And Jesus says, I came here to proclaim. He has the Sabbath time. And I think during that Sabbath time, it doesn't say that. But I'm thinking that he realizes what his mission is. Because he could have stayed in Capernaum and had a fabulous career, right? Keep healing people and casting out demons. Until people got tired of him, I suppose. But he says, no. And his disciples come and say, they're looking for you. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Isn't this great? This is wonderful. This is good PR here. Let's go on to the next village in Galilee because that's what I was called to do, to proclaim the good news. The Apostle Paul in the Corinthians lesson says that too. I came to proclaim the good news by becoming like others. I've become everything to everyone. The Apostle Paul, who was, who was a righteous Jew, he was a Pharisee, he says himself, highly trained, highly um, attentive to the law. But he says, I became like one outside the law. I became like a Gentile in order to win Gentiles. I became like the lowly to win the lowly. I became, I don't, he doesn't say this, I became like the, the important ones to, to win the important ones. Jesus came to proclaim the good news of God. And of course, he always gets, wherever he goes, he has to cast out demons. And remember, demons are something that they, they don't make sense to us in today's world. In today's world where we have all this wonderful healing, healing medicines and technology. But back then, there was no hope. And Jesus brings hope. Jesus restores Peter's mother-in-law to her dignity, restores her to community. And that's what God wants for all of us. Wants all of us to, be, to have dignity and to be restored to community. And we resist, don't we? We're so individualistic in this country 
We prize individualism. We are so sequestered in ourselves and our homes, our nuclear families. We don't have community or very little community. This is the promise that church has to restore people to community. That people would have dignity. That they would have the sense of belonging. The sense that they are worthy. This is what Jesus brings to us. A sense that we are worthy, that we are loved, that we are forgiven. And this is his whole mission. His whole mission was to go to the cross in order to make at one people and God. To make at one. At one meant atonement is what his work on the cross is. And he can't do this if he stays in one place in Capernaum. He brings eternal healing. Eternal healing. Healing that brings dignity to individuals. To bring the sense of belonging. And to bring the sense of peace. No matter how many things the world throws at us. That sense of peace. Now, I don't want you to feel like, oh, I don't have that peace and therefore I'm not worthy or I'm doing something wrong. No, I want you to think in terms of God is working to bring about that ultimate peace, that ultimate healing. God is working in you to bring that about. And Jesus demonstrated his love for us, going all the way for us. And the cross was not the end. Resurrection was the end. And resurrection is promised to us too that no matter what happens in this life, we have that promise of the resurrection. This promise is assured and made real to us when we have Eucharist, when we have Jesus' body and blood. A little piece of bread, a little sip of wine to assure us that indeed we are people of the cross and resurrection. We are healed for all eternity. Come and share in this meal. Amen.